Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you. The Israel Antiquities Authority unveiled this week fascinating archaeological findings. Did you see that? Did you read the papers? Decades after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, middle-aged archaeologists and their youthful assistants rappelled down dangerous cliffs and squeezed into remote caves near the Dead Sea to revisit caves previously explored in an effort to discover whatever else there is to find in the Judean desert. The task is urgent because time, and especially looters, threaten to destroy these buried treasures forever. Now those of you who have traveled with us with the synagogue to Israel, You'll remember that we always spend at least a day in that area of the country and we point these caves out. Some of them are visible from the highway. You may have seen the reports. If not, I urge you to go online or look at these amazing imagination-busting finds. There was a huge stunning 10,000-year-old weaved basket. You can view the moment, if you go on YouTube, you can view the moment it emerged from the earth after someone left it there in 8,000 BCE. It hadn't been touched in 10,000 years. They discovered a 6,000-year-old skeleton of a child, still wrapped in burial cloth. Remnants of hair were preserved. As fascinating as these findings are, discoveries related to our ancestors, the ancient Jews, always reduce me to mushy, emotional slop. For the first time since the late 1940s and 1950s, tiny fragments of Dead Sea Scrolls were unearthed, the earliest known versions of biblical texts. Especially moving for me was a cache of coins from the Bar Kokhba revolt against the Romans during the reign of the Emperor Hadrian. Six decades after the Romans destroyed the Jerusalem temple, Bar Kokhba tried one last time to break free. To popularize the rebellions, coins were produced, replete with Jewish symbols on both sides. You can view some of these coins at the Israel Museum. Those of you who have come with us on synagogue missions, we always try to go to the Israel Museum. You can see coins there, or you can see pictures online what they looked like, enduring for about three years from 132 to 135 CE, the rebellion endured, but eventually was a failed and futile effort. Rome was at the peak of its powers. Rivers of blood flowed through Jewish villages and towns. Hadrian embarked on a campaign that we would describe today 
as genocide or ethnic cleansing. The Jerusalem Talmud states that the Romans kept on killing until their horses were submerged in blood up to their nostrils. The Babylonian Talmud states that when the Romans captured the rebels, they wrapped them in their scrolls and burned them to death. Some of the refugees fled to the caves of the Judean desert, bringing the coins of the rebellion with them. And there they lay until our very time. This period was the last gasp of Jewish independence for 1900 years. Our nation would not return to that place until the 20th century. The cave where the coins were discovered is called the Cave of Horror. It got its name through a previous excavation in the 1950s. At that time, Israeli archaeologists found 40 skeletons, refugees, Jewish refugees, fleeing the Hadrianic persecution. Archaeologists surmise that these 40 people, our ancestors, died of thirst or starvation because the cave is exceedingly difficult to reach. The Israeli team had to repel from the top of the cliff 260 feet to reach the cave. So the speculation is that the Romans simply besieged these Jews and waited them out. I can see all of this in my imagination. My mind's eye creates a vividness that bridges two millennia. To look at a Bar Kokhba coin that emerged from this cave of horror, it has a different effect than reading about Bar Kokhba in a textbook. It frees the imagination, so bound and constricted by human limitations. I imagine those 40 Jewish refugees. I can see them. They were real people. They held these coins, the currency of the rebellion, in their hand. They probably assumed that they would survive. The war would end, and they would emerge from the cave with all of their possessions and use these coins in the post-war marketplaces. I wish that somehow I could fly back in time and warn Bar Kokhba and his followers that military resistance is futile. Many of their contemporaries cautioned that it was madness to rebel against Hadrian. But we now know for sure that it was madness because we know how all of this turned out. The aftermath of the rebellion was annihilation. The obliteration, utter obliteration of Jewish autonomy in the land of Israel until the 20th century.
to look at these ancient Jewish artifacts is to appreciate that we are not alone. We didn't pop in out of nowhere. The Jewish world didn't start with us from the day that we were born. We're part of a continuum. In fact, we are who we are because they were who they were. We are in the bloodstream of Jewish life. There was Jewish life before us. There will be Jewish life after us. One scroll fragment unveiled this week from, was from the book of the prophet Nahum, who, scholars speculate, lived around the 7th century BCE. Another fragment was from the book of Zechariah. He lived around 500 BCE. The Nahum fragment was from chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. You can look it up when you're at home. The verses state, Harim ra'ashumimenu ve'hagvaot hit mogagu. The mountains quake before God. Who can stand before God's wrath and resist his fury? The Zechariah chapter was, fragment was from chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. It states, Ele advarim asher ta'asu, dabru emet ishel re'ehu, emet umishpat shalom ta'asu shiftu b'sha'arechem. Speak the truth to one another. Render true justice in your gates. Do not contrive evil one against the other and do not love perjury. Taken together, these two tiny fragments that were unveiled this week encapsulate what Jews have given the world. From that small sliver of land, so craved by every nation of antiquity, our people carved out of the rock of barbarism and the dust of idolatry two fundamental principles. First, as Nahum insisted, we gave the world the concept of one God, creator of the universe and of all human beings. Seven centuries before Christianity and a millennium and a half before Islam, the ancient Jews insisted that God not human rulers, is the true sovereign of the world. The mountains quake, the rocks shatter before God. Even the most powerful ruler must bend the knee before the sovereign of all creation. And second, out of this axiomatical, axiomatic principle of one God, emerge the words of Zechariah that were unveiled this week. We are required to behave ethically. God insists 
that we honor the dignity and worth of all human beings, each of whom is created in God's image. We must speak the truth to them. We must avoid lying and perjury. We must pursue and render justice in the gates. We must avoid evil. These are not suggestions. These are obligations by virtue of the verse of Nahum. There is one God. These two tiny fragments unveiled this week illustrate the two Jewish principles that form the basis of contemporary Western life. Monotheism and prophetic morality. Not bad, wouldn't you say? For a nation that Hadrian sought to wipe off the face of the earth and that was written off for dead a thousand times since? Not bad, wouldn't you say? For a nation that is still despised and scorned by some of the very people whose religious and ethical principles are based on what we taught three millennia ago and came to light again this week. Amen. We turn to page 146 for the Baruch Hu, and we rise. <laughs> 